This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome, everyone. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me. If you're a parent, then you understand the saying that sleep like a baby really means that you just don't sleep. I remember my own kids and the struggles with their sleep schedules. However, I have Alana McGinn from Good Night Sleep Site here to help you with your child's sleep troubles. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, babies, everybody says sleep like a baby, but what does that really mean? Because I remember my own kids and they did not sleep and it was a struggle the first little while. So how do we get our kids or our babies sleeping better? And should we get them sleep trained right away? I think the the first step that most parents can do is just understand what the sleep needs are of their baby or child. Um, you know, it, it's we don't realize how important sleep is or how little sleep we'll be getting until we bring baby home. Really, right? You learn a lot in those prenatal classes and, and they might teach a little bit about sleep, but you know, for the most part, you're learning about labor and delivery and breastfeeding and all those important things that we need to learn about. But we really don't understand the effects of sleep and sleep loss until we are in the midst of it, right? Um, so, you know, finding out what the appropriate sleep needs are for your for your baby, if we're starting right at the beginning, finding out what is the right age for baby to start sleep training. In terms of should we start right away, should we even start um, the sleep training process, that's really dependent on the family and the parent. Um, you know, I always say if what you're doing works for you, who am I to tell you to change it, right? We work with families who have tried everything or have tried it one way and it's just not working for them anymore. And now they want to see change and they want, um, you know, a professional to kind of help put that, that plan together for them. Um, so those are the families that we work with, those that are ready to make those changes and, and want to make those changes. Um, it's really dependent on the family and the individual at the time. When it comes to babies and napping, you say, um, and this was a really great thing that I read uh, 16 years too late, uh, that don't assume that the nap is over just because baby wakes up in 30 to 40 minutes. What do you mean by that? So if we look at our natural sleep drive, you know, we're not as tired throughout the day as we are at night, right? This is why a lot of parents can say, why can't my baby do these amazing consolidated stretches at night, but I'm only getting these 30 or 40 minute naps throughout the day. Those 30 or 40 minute naps, that's a natural sleep cycle for a baby. So what we need to teach them is to fall back into that next cycle of sleep. It's harder to do that during the day because their drive for sleep just isn't as strong. They're not as tired. Also, because they're not as tired, that's when they tend to start working on any kind of developmental milestone that they're working on, you know, rolling, crawling, talking, anything. I mean, they're learning so much in that first year, especially. Um, So that tends to be why we see so many sleep struggles and we tend to see, um, you know, that issue of that catnapper. When I say stop, wait, and listen, and don't go right away is they have the ability to get into that next cycle of sleep. It just takes them longer. Naps take a long time. I tell all my families that we are working together that they're not going to get it figured out in a day or a week. It could take a few weeks for things to be consistent. But if we leave them for a little bit, you don't have to leave them for long, even if it's just two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever your comfort level allows, where they can practice that ability of falling back to sleep if they do wake up after that 30 or 40 minutes, that's how we're going to consolidate out that, that nap. 
if we just go get them after that 30 or 40 minutes, when they do wake up, we're just guaranteeing a short nap and the inability to consolidate it, right? So um, always say, just stop, wait and listen, you know, wait and see if they can, you know, fall back asleep and, and figure it out on their own. One thing I always tell my families is, you know, two things we want to happen. Yes, ideally, we want them to fall back asleep, or we want them to go to sleep as soon as we put them down and wake up when we want them to wake up. But that's not, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. That's not going to happen all the time. But we also want our babies to learn to be happy and content and awake in their safe sleep environment and not need you right away. And the only way that we're going to get there is by not rushing and swooping in and doing it for them as soon as they wake up. So let them let them figure it out a little bit on their own once they hit that four month and up. I always say in that fourth trimester, that zero to four months, there's no rules. If you have to swoop in and do it for them, that's okay. And that makes a lot of sense. And and when they're trying to get them, let's say they wake up 30 to 40 minutes, the cooing and the kind of talking on their own, that's okay. But what about when baby starts crying? Like, how do you feel about, you know, that that sleep training where you let them kind of cry it out? I could never do it. So we have, yeah, we use different methods and approaches at Goodnight Sleep Site. So the cry it out or the wait it out is an approach that we use if parents are comfortable using it. Um, you know, if a family has done their research and they come to us and say, we're fine with doing it, then that is an approach we do. It is the quickest approach, but it's definitely not the only approach. Um, there's other approaches that we use where parents are, are very involved, where they, they are in the room the entire time that baby is awake until baby falls asleep. That's when they leave. Um, there is what we call our kind of middle of the road method, what we call our peak and pause method. Um, very similar to like an interval style method where you're going in um, and doing checks. So you're allowing baby to have that opportunity to practice it on their own, but also going in if need be. Um, But regardless of what method that you're choosing, you are still changing the response that baby is used to. And that really is what the crying stems from. The crying is stemming from that change. So whether you're doing a full involved approach, whether you're sitting in chair beside the crib and you were there the entire time baby's awake, or you're going in through checks, or you're doing an extinction style approach, um, you're still not responding to baby how baby is used to you responding. So you're still not picking baby up and feeding baby to sleep or rocking baby sleep because these are the changes that we need to make to learn those independent sleep skills to help baby fall asleep on their own, right? So regardless of what method you choose, you could choose, I always say you can choose a really gradual method where you you still will likely get some crying because you're still changing mm-hmm. um, the approach or the response that you're doing, but it's maybe more crying long term because these are these tend to be longer, you know, fourteen day methods. Or you can choose some choose something a bit more direct, like an interval check, like an extinction, where there could be a lot of crying, but it's only for a few nights. So it's really important to choose a method that is that you as a parent are comfortable using because consistency is so important. Um, but also choosing a method that baby and your child is going to respond to best. And in all honesty, that's not always the method that parents want to use, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. When it comes to napping, you know, they baby start like they're kind of napping all day in and out. And then they get to like maybe four months and they're in down to kind of like two naps a day. Is that standard where they're napping in the morning and then they nap again in the afternoon? Um, and then they kind of transition. I can't remember if it's around a year where they're just having one solid nap. How do you know 
when that is that when it's time. I mean, you're not struggling to get this child to sleep two times a day. Yeah. So for naps, I mean, typically we see about by four months of age, you're looking prior to four months. If we're looking at like zero to four months, you're going to see, you know, short, frequent cat naps are completely normal throughout the day. So you might see five, six, seven naps throughout the day of only 30 or 45 minutes. That's normal in that fourth trimester, that zero to four month age. Once we hit four months, four to six months of age, you can start getting baby on more of a consistent um, sleep schedule throughout the day. So consistent wait times in the morning, consistent nap times, and even consistent bedtimes and work on consolidating out those naps. So, you know, we're looking at an hour to an hour and a half, ideally an hour and a half to two hours in the morning, an hour and a half to two hours in the afternoon, and then perhaps a shorter cat nap. So three naps a day, we'll, we'll be saying from four months to maybe six to eight months. In and around that six to eight month mark, we tend to drop that cat nap and really only have those two naps. It's really dependent on the sleep sensitivity of the child. So I always use my kids as an example. I have three children. My youngest are twins. Um, Out of my three kids, my twin daughter was the only one who ever took that cat nap. Not every baby takes that third cat nap um, because she's the more sleep sensitive child. She was the one where bedtimes had to be on time. If she missed a nap, she was a monster. Like she's still like that. And she's 12. Uh, (laughs) You know, she needs her sleep and she needs that consistent schedule. Right. Whereas my twin son, you know, he didn't necessarily need that third cat nap. Um, You know, he could be a little bit more, we could be a little bit more flexible with his schedule. Going from that two to one nap transition, that typically happens between 15 to 18 months of age. Um, So again, depends on the child. Some kids can drop that second nap as early as 15 months, where some kids really need to hang on to it to that 18 month. So you'll know the signs, you'll know your child, you'll know what they can handle and at what age. But typically, those are the age markers um, of when you're starting to kind of drop naps and transition to either three to two or two to one. And what about sleep progression? And I'm not talking about, you know, the 16 year old, like my kid who wants to be up all hours of the night because he thinks he can. I'm talking about baby sleep progression. How does that happen? Why does it happen? And how do we fix this for these poor parents who are totally sleep deprived? Yeah. So, you know, the term sleep progression, I think got a really bad rap because really when a, when a, baby is going through a sleep regression. I mean, it is a regression in sleep. So that's why it was coined sleep regression. There's typically something going on. The main thing that's likely going on is a developmental milestone. So, you know, this we're all born with the ability to sleep, but the ability to fall asleep on our own independently is a skill that is learned. Um, Babies can really only work on one skill at a time. So when they're going through, you know, when we talk about the four month sleep regression, that's a big one, right? That's a big one that kind of hits parents. My baby was sleeping great until that four month happened. What is going on? A few things could be going on. One is the type of sleep, the quality of sleep that they're getting throughout um, their one cycle of sleep. So if we look at a 30 minute cycle, prior to four months, they're getting longer periods of deeper sleep in that 30 minutes. So to rock baby to sleep after two minutes of placing baby down is very easy, right? But at four months, that shifts. And now they're getting longer periods, it takes them longer to get into that deeper state of sleep. So to rock baby down now at two minutes and place baby down, well, baby's still in that lighter state of sleep. So baby's going to wake up. Well, Why is baby all of a sudden waking up? They must be going through a regression, right? The other reason why we see um, uh, regressions, you know, using that four month as an example is this is when baby's learning to move around more in their crib and rolling over, coming back to those developmental milestones. Whenever they're learning a new skill, sleep kind of gets put on the back burner a little bit. 
Now, those that have strong independent sleep skills in place, things like teething, travel, illness, um, developmental milestones don't affect sleep as much as a baby or child who doesn't have strong sleep skills in place. So the best thing that you can do is to, again, focus on you know, consistent, safe, conducive environments, consistent sleep patterns, really trying to um, teach baby or child to fall asleep independently so that when they are going through these normal life occurrences like teething, like developmental milestones, like traveling and, and, and illness, um, they can still get a solid night of sleep. Um, yeah, that's my views on sleep repressions. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. And we panic. I remember being the same way thinking, oh my gosh, like, what does this mean? Am I going to get even less sleep now? So I understand the panic, but you're right. The consistency is key. And what are your thoughts on co-sleeping? Now, I may or may not be guilty (laughs) or may may or may not have been guilty when my kids were little, but what are your thoughts on co-sleeping and uh, how do we stop it if it's not highly recommended? So as a sleep professional, um, you know, I, I could nicely say we do follow the guidelines of the American Academy of Pediatrics or the Canadian, Canadian Pediatric Society and really focus on safe sleep practices. Um, and that's following the ABCs of safe sleep. So having baby sleep alone, always placing baby down on their back um, and in their own sleep space. So in their own crib or certified safe crib or bassinet. Um, we work with a lot of parents who continue to room share. So room share is a bit different than co-sleeping or bed sharing, right? Co-sleeping kind of encompasses both room sharing and bed sharing. So if we're talking just about room sharing, um, you know, you can sleep train, you can, uh, you know, work on baby sleep habits while baby's still in your room, provided they're in their own safe sleep space separate from your bed. Um, If you are, um, you know, or if you're ready to transition them into their own nursery, you know, we can work on that too. If you are choosing to bed share, that is a decision that you're making, a family decision that you're making, and there are safe sleep practices in bed sharing. What can, what tends to happen more often, though, and listen, I was guilty of this. I'm sure this is what you're talking about more uh, about. Also, is is that reactive bed sharing? It's that pulling baby into bed to get in that last hour, right? It's baby wakes up and you're just exhausted, so you're just pulling baby into bed. You're falling asleep with baby on the couch or on the chair because you're just trying to survive. Like I get it. My babies didn't. My kids didn't come out of me amazing sleepers. I had to work at it too, right? That's when things can become unsafe. So this is where I go back to saying, yes, as a sleep professional, um, we don't work with families who bed share because we do follow the the safe sleep guidelines of the AAP. Um, But if you are a family who is choosing to bed share, I'm not going to tell you to not do it. I'm just going to educate you on the safe sleep practices to do it. But if you're a family who is reactively bed sharing, that's when we likely need to make some adjustments and changes. And most families are open to that because, you know, they understand why they're doing it um, because that's when things can become unsafe for baby. Mm -hmm. And in my defense, I was kind of room sharing more than anything else because I needed to sleep. So I would just kind of stay in there and at least they knew I was in the room. So it wasn't so bad. I'm just all about my sleep. When we come back, should we let our teenagers sleep until noon? This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region. 
The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Alain and I were discussing naps and sleep regression, how sleeping is important at every age and stage. Now, Alana, I have two teenagers, a boy and a girl. And let me tell you, it's taken a real different course over the last few years. They went from not sleeping and me doing a lot of sleep training to now wanting to sleep until noon. What are your thoughts on this? Should we let our kids sleep that late? So I am also a mom of a teen and two tweens. Um, So I'm in that stage as well. And I'm telling you, anyone who's listening to this and has younger kids and you're like fighting an early bedtime, because Ganesi said we push early bedtimes, guys, embrace the early bedtimes because as they get older, it shifts. And suddenly you are going to bed before your kids. And it's just a weird, <laughs> it's weird, right? Like it, that's a transition in itself. Um, so that's the stage I'm at right now. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, what we have to look at is when that age group is going through puberty, there is a shift and when their body releases melatonin. Um, so again, going back, melatonin is our natural sleep hormone. It's what prepares our body to sleep. It's what helps sink our natural 24-hour clock. Um, it shifts later for that tween and teen age group. So this is why a lot of parents are like, why can my teen or tween not fall asleep until midnight or one o'clock? Because that's when their body is just naturally telling them to fall asleep. They may not be able to go to bed at nine or 10. We're also seeing an increase in, you know, um, extracurricular activities and homework and after school jobs and all of those things that kind of push that bedtime out later. And then unfortunately, what happens is school start times for high school are so early. Um, you know, my daughter's leaving at a quarter to eight to catch a bus, um, you know, to go to, to go to high school. It's, it's crazy. So there, the society isn't, isn't created for their sleep patterns for their, you know, the one age group that really thrived again, I know it was, it could be, it was very, it was hit hard in terms of mental health. But in terms of sleep health, the one age group that really thrived during the pandemic when we were all home um, was the teen group, because now they didn't have to get Mm -hmm. up super early to get to school, right? They could just log on. And and we really saw um, the effects of that um, and how better they were sleeping throughout the night because of that and, and getting in great, healthy sleep. So to kind of answer your question you know, we want to protect their sleep as best we can, but we also want to pick and choose our battles. If they are sleeping till noon on the weekends, um, I don't know. I don't tend to fight it. My kids don't really sleep till noon. I mean, my daughter is normally up by, I would say, 10. And I let her sleep till 10. I'm not going to get her up because I'm up at 7. And therefore, I don't think she needs to be up at 7. Um, because, again, during the week, she's out the door before any of us, quarter to 8, to go catch her bus. Um, so it really depends on your child. Um, I think it depends on a lot more than just what time are they waking up, you know? Um, but if my kids want to sleep in a little bit more on the weekends, I kind of let them and I'm okay with that. I, that age group, you got to pick and choose your battles. And that's just a battle I don't want to have. If they're sleeping till two, that's yep. different. I don't want them sleeping the whole day away. Yep. Um, but I'm okay mm-hmm. with like a 10 o'clock wake up at that age. Yeah. And you make a really valid point. They're starting, like my son, like yours, is out of the house at quarter to, quarter to eight, sometimes even earlier, uh, plays after school sports at the school and then has 
practice now, like on his other sport, and is sometimes not getting home until 10 o'clock. So it, yes, if they want to make up for the sleep, but I'm very strict about the bedtime. So the time that they're going to bed, I try to be consistent every single night because they do need to sleep. So if they want to sleep in on the weekends, by all means, I agree. I don't like them sleeping past 11 is like the maximum. Um, but what about devices for them as well? Like what, what is, should be the standard? Should we let them have some time on their phones or on their devices? Um, is that conducive to kind of relaxing them or should it just be, nope, everything in the hallway or wherever you keep them and get straight to bed? So I am big on keeping tech out of the bedroom for that age group. You know, um, for adults, I always say, you know, you know, it's really set your boundaries, but you know, we can't, we can't expect these children whose brains aren't fully developed yet to set their own boundaries on that. You know, that's really up to us as parents to do. Um, so that is a big rule in my home as well. And, and something that I preach and teach is, you know, really devices should be out of the bedroom. Now, if they want to bring it in in the evening hours to do homework, to talk with their friends, that's fine. But we have a tech for few in our home too. Um, by 9 30, 10, all tech is out and they're preparing to go to bed. So yes, we do have a very um, consistent bedtime routine and bedtime at our home as well. Um, and, and that can fluctuate and change depending on, you know, the kind of week or day that they've had, you know, maybe sometimes they can go to bed a little bit later, or sometimes I'm really pushing for that earlier bedtime because I know they really need it. Um, but no tech in the bedroom, you know, it's, it, it's, it's such a sleep buster for that age in so many ways. And, you know, if we're looking at the increase in, um, in, in mental health issues with that age group, I mean, we can't we can't say that tech doesn't have something, if not a huge part of that, you know? So um, in my opinion, I think it's really up to the parents to really set those boundaries and set those rules and follow through with them. Um, And that's where, that's the battle worth having, in my opinion. And now you kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, you're, you have your bedtime set out, but is sleeping well a family affair? Is it something that we should practice what we preach? Yeah, I love that you asked that. I'm a big, you know, we, I'm a big proponent of family sleep meetings, um, especially with that age group, because, you know, they see you being very lackadaisical with your own sleep health, bringing tech in your room. Um, yes, you can use the argument, well, it's my house, my rules, I'm the parent, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, it, it, we have to kind of practice what we preach, right? So, um, I say, if you are listening to this and you have a tweener teen that's really struggling with sleep, how can you work on their sleep health as a family where you sit down together, um, and talk about what the expectations are, talk about the importance of healthy sleep. I think that's a conversation that often gets overlooked is we just tell our kids to go to bed, but why, why do they need to go to bed? What happens when they sleep well? Um, what happens when they get a great night of sleep? How do you feel when you've had a good night of sleep versus not having a good night of sleep? Have those conversations so they understand why you're taking those steps and then work on it together. Okay, what can we do as a family to help us all sleep better? We all need, maybe we all need a tech curfew at a certain amount of time. Um, you know, maybe we all need to focus on a better um, sleep environment. Maybe we all need to kind of work on a better, or, or sorry, sleep schedule. Maybe we all need to work on a better sleep environment. Um, and then take it on as a family. So make it family goals, I think can be really beneficial. Now for your teen slash tween, can we apply the same bedtime routine that we do to ourselves? So, you know, have a bath or use it as a time to do some meditation. Is that something that you would encourage in our teenagers as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, uh, we, we work a lot with like a power down hour where we're 
using that last hour before bedtime um, and breaking it up in three 20 minute increments. So, you know, for our tweens and teens, it could be take the first 20 minutes and, you know, is your homework all done? Or is your backpack packed up? Like what, you know, we have the, we have difficulty quieting our mind and going through that to-do list. Well, our teens and tweens can have that too. So what are some things that we can remove off that to-do list, right? Again, making sure homework's all done, making sure you prepare for the next day, your lunch is packed, your outfit's picked out, all of those things, right? Um, and then the next 20 minutes is, okay, what do you want to do in that 20 minutes? So brushing teeth, going to the bathroom, changing into pajamas, taking a bath or shower, whatever you want to do. And then the last 20 minutes, it could be incorporating um, relaxing and calming activities. Again, it could be just something as simple as, as maybe reading a little bit before you go to bed. Um, for tweens and teens, something that can work really great is, is I'm a huge proponent of mindful breathing, of breath work. I think it's great for all ages to do, even young, even our toddlers and our little kids. There's different techniques and, and, um, breathwork techniques that you can do at that young age. Um, meditation, mindful thinking, visual imagery. Um, there's a great, apps and podcasts that you can use that can help you with that too, that can help them kind of guide them. So there's a lot of tech that can help as well. And now you have amazing online courses and programs for our tweens and teens. Let's talk about what you would recommend. So let's say a, a, a teenager is struggling with their sleep routine. Do you offer online services? Can they do it on their own or should it be, a, or do you also offer it as a family affair? So we do have one-on-one um, consultations for tweens and teens. We also have um, one that's very popular on our site is our um, our DIY tween and teen program. So this is a program that gives you all the education, all the know-how, um, helps you create the sleep plan where you and your tween or teen actually work on it together. So you guys sit down and as um, a family can really kind of, I, and I think that that's really important at that age is not just, it's not just like sleep training where the parents do it and, 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 and incorporate it to the child. I think it's really important to get your tween and teen involved in the process right from the beginning um, in, in terms of searching for the right education, you know, purchasing what you're going to purchase and then creating that sleep plan together and working on it together. And that's all available on our website. And as one last tip for families, um, what do you recommend is the first thing we should do in order for us to encourage sleep in our teenagers? Have those conversations. I think that that's so important. You know, you know, with with parents, I mentioned, you know, parents need to understand the sleep needs of their child, right, of their babies, of their toddlers. Tween and teens need to understand the sleep health for themselves. I mean, do you remember as a tween or teen ever being taught about sleep or how much? Like, no, we never really learned about that. But, you know, I work with a lot of adults who would have probably really benefited from having that information at that age. So, you know, the very first step is really educating you as a parent, for one, on your tween or teen sleep needs, but then also educating your tween or teen on their own sleep needs and have those conversations. Same conversations as, you know, uh, eat healthy and move your body and treat others with kindness, which is also important that we can have those conversations easily. We also need to have that conversation about sleep health pretty easily as well. That's a great tip, and it's a really good point. Alana, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. Please remind listeners where they can find you, your social media handles, and, of course, your amazing website. Thank you. So you can find uh, all of our information on our consultants and our programs over at goodnightsleepsite.com. You can find me on Instagram at gnsleepsite. I am on TikTok, alana.mcginn. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, goodnightsleepsite. 
And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location near nearest you.